Today on the show, we're talking about sentimental items. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm joined today with Trevor. And today we're talking about something we think everyone can relate to, sentimental items. Yeah, I think everybody listening to this has probably been caught in the trap of sentimental items. And just my upfront thing about sentimental things is part of the problem people, they they try to, and I'm guilty of this too, and and a lot of our listeners, I'm sure this might resonate, sentimental things, they become sentimental for a reason. And a lot of times when people have a, a, a significant life event, they want to get a significant sentimental item to sort of as a memento to recognize that 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 event and it, it particularly i'll say around children anyone who's had had kids they may have bought these you know sentimental things and and hoped they would have meant something in your child's childhood and it, it usually turns out that it, it's some insignificant thing that you never planned that seemed to you know be this treasure your child had and, and it, it captures memories. And and so everyone's guilty of trying to connect the dots before you get to your destination. You can only re- really connect the dots of sentimental items after the fact. It kind of, if you, if you really kind of step back in and look at sentimental items, it's kind of crazy that an object, and it, it'll go, we'll go on to kind of talk about this uh, based on the article we're referencing in this episode, but it's kind of, it's kind of crazy the, the concept that that item, it's just an item. So, so saying that if someone were to look at that same item, they would just see, they would just see the item for, for what it is, but you look at that item and you see other things. And, and the idea is it's going to trigger a memory, but it, it doesn't always need to be this expensive, precious thing in order for it to trigger a memory. And I'm not against sentimental items. I'm against spending a lot of money and forcing some expensive thing to become sentimental. That, that's where it all falls apart. At the same time, though, I, I think, I mean, yes, expensive sentimental items are expensive but i think in the same breath if we have too many inexpensive items too it not only is it clutter but i mean all those small little purchases will add up well i think the thing is is let the let the thing become sentimental on its own don't force the issue here's an example where i I remember when my kids were born and there it was their first christmas and i i wanted to buy some sentimental thing you know to you know commemorate their first christmas and I bought this snow globe, and it doesn't sound expensive, but I happened to, I decided I needed to buy a really good snow globe for it to be sentimental. So I went to this outrageously expensive gift shop and bought, it was a Christmas, especially Christmas store. They just sold Christmas things like 12 months of the year. They All they do is sell Christmas stuff. And I went there and I bought this snow globe. And I remember looking at them and I remember saying, you know, this one, this is, this can't be this good. It, it doesn't cost enough. It's kind of the cheap one. I want to buy a good one. And I ended up spending like, and we're going back 25 years ago. I, I think I spent like $40 on some really small snow globe, you know, thinking this is going to be the, the sentimental thing. And it, it turned out nobody really cared about that thing. I also bought the same day I bought a, the night before Christmas storybook. And it turned out that inexpensive, you know, off the cuff, uh, you know, just before I leave the store, well, maybe I'll grab this too. That turns out to be the most sentimental Christmas thing we have. So it, again, I was trying to connect the dots on my way and the dots, the dots can only be connected after the fact. 
Have you found that true? I mean, with you, with having kids who have grown up, do you find that true across the board when it comes to them and, and maybe in your life as well personally? Or has there ever been a kind of a time where it, it, getting something and it has transcendental that you weren't planning for? You know, it, 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 uh, I can count on one hand the times where I bought something. It, it, you know, I'm going to say no because I was generally... It, it's you convincing yourself that it was sentimental just because you wanted it to be. If you want to know if it's sentimental, check with the the people the people in your life, your family, and ask them what does this mean to you, this this object or this thing? Does this trigger a memory? And a lot of times you're just trying to force the issue and call it sentimental yourself. Another Here's another flaw with sentimental items. If you end up spending a lot of money on something, and the, here's the problem with the snow globe, it would cost a lot of money, so... Was I going to let my little kids handle it? Not a chance. This thing cost a fortune. So it sat way up high on a, a fireplace mantle and nobody could get at it. Nobody could see it. And as it turns out, there's no memories associated with my children. So they, they have no sentimental attachment to the snow globe whatsoever. So a lot of times, if you do drop a lot of money on something, it will be you know placed out of sight, out of mind, so nobody can damage it. So I want to turn now to the article we are, this whole episode is kind of based around. It is from The Simple Dollar. It is by Trent Ham, and it's called The Challenge of Sentimental Items. And I want to kind of lay down the definition of sen- sentimentality and and kind of and kind of what that means. So Trent Ham says here in his article that items can trigger in us strong feelings of tenderness, nostalgia, and sadness, a yearning for the past or for a different time. So all these are kind of past looking. It, typically, a sentimental thing is going to be, you know, past driven. It, it kind of makes sense. But a, a lot of times, you know, it, it, you just can't force it. That That is the key. You can't force the sentiment, the sentimentalness of something. It just has to evolve. And, and continuing from that, um, Trenham goes on to say that sentimental items remind us of different times in our life, different people and places, and things lo- long since faded, or of different roads in our life's life which could have been. Those feelings are strong, and when they're deeply tied possessions, it can be get hard to get rid of that possession. So, so again, the kind of the focus around this is always, and this is my, this is kind of my overarching leading question for you, Trevor, is that. All these kind of the idea around sentimental items is always kind of past looking. Do you think we should try to live in the present more, and 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 not focus so much on the the memories that have faded and what could have been and and, and kind of things that happened in our past? Well, I think it depends on you know if somebody's designed their life in such a way that they've created chaos in a very hectic lifestyle as they've got older, and their life has just got more complicated. I think a lot of uh, adults can relate to that, that, that ev- evolution. If that's happening to you, you're going to long for the, the days gone by when life was simpler, you know, you didn't have, say, any children, or, or you, you didn't have, you know, big financial decisions to wrestle with because you didn't have any money to, to start with. So you kind of long for the, the past. And so anything that can sort of, you know, trigger a memory of, of the good old days is, is probably worth having. But I will say, if you want to live more in the present, you're going to have to design a life that you that that is better today than it was before, you know, in the past. So, and you you're in complete control of that. Design a life that you enjoy living today, and you you probably 
won't want to remember the past or you it won't mean as much to you. And Trent Ham kind of describes in this article that one of he says one of the biggest elements of housing costs is square footage and he talks about how having things and having a lot of things including sentimental things is kind of the reason that homeowners need more square footage and when you again have more square footage you're going to pay more there are other factors that come into consideration such as location of course but generally larger homes Trenham says always cost more than smaller homes I think if, you, if you're in a situation where square footage is inhibiting your ability to keep sentimental things, you have what I call an obsession. You know, you, it's no longer sent, sentiment, sentimentalness that, that you're dealing with. You're dealing with an obsession. Sentimental, I mean, for something in my life to be sentimental, it has to, you know, I have to look at this thing and it's almost like a, a looking glass. I'm almost seeing a vision when I, when I look into this thing and remembering a specific time. Here's one is uh, I had a family pet that's passed away, you know, I think it's a couple of years now. And I've kept this pet's uh, collar and it doesn't take up a lot of space. And I also, for a while, I kept her dog bed as well, which is now that's even larger. So so here's two things. And, you know, obviously, if I keep things the size of dog beds, uh, I'm going to run out of space if I keep looking at something that large in sentimentalness. Whereas a collar, well, that's going to fit in a box quite nicely. So I think you have to pick and choose. Again, if if square footage is the problem, you know, if this is the financial stumbling block on you maintaining sentimentalness around your past, I think you're dealing with an obsession. So I kind of want to say that I think what you just said, Trevor, is super completely valid, but is easier said than done. I mean, we probably have some listeners right now who are saying, yeah, it's, it's it's nice to say to get rid of some things, but it's all, it's hard in practice. And Trevor, before we hit record even today, you were telling me that you, in, in your basement, you still have um, some of your children's toys. And some of them, their ch- your children don't even remember kind of playing with, but that you remember them playing with. And then you're, you, and you, and alongside that, you, you kind of talked about how you your children and you took photos of these things too yet you're still kind of holding on to some of these items yeah I, I, so just you know you you mentioned something there i don't think you should keep sentimental things on behalf of somebody else so in the case of your children you should only keep things that mean something to you and are sentimental to you if if some toy has sentiment of value to your child you should pass it on to them now, I, I do keep some childhood toys. They're not that large, but I keep a couple that whenever I, I'm in my basement and I see them sitting there, I remember, you know, I recall my kids at that age. So it, it helps trigger the memory. But do you think do you think the photo of that thing for you is just as valuable? It is and it isn't. You know, a photo is two-dimensional. It's only going to give you so much, right? I can actually pick up the pieces of this toy and remember playing with them with my child. And, and I... It really, really does trigger the memory. But I was very selective in the toys that I kept. You know, I didn't keep them all. I, I kept the ones that that I really enjoyed that time in their life. So I kept that toy at that time in their life. So I, I want to kind of go back to the square footage kind of discussion. If you have too much stuff to to fit in a certain size home, does that mean you have too much stuff? Or does it mean you need to kind of find uh, a home with more space. No, I, I think if if you're keeping... Okay, so here's something with furniture. That, that's a lot... A lot of times that's the sentimental thing. And, and just say you're keeping, a, I don't know, 
uh, a chair that, that you knew it, you, your grandfather used all the time. He sat in it every night after work and he's passed away and you've inherited that chair. You can't replicate that over like in, he slept in this bed and he ate at this table. You have to saw it off somewhere. You can't just keep saying, uh, you know, my grandfather used this, therefore I want to keep it. At some point, it, you have to, and, and you know, the problem with furniture is furniture, if, it, if it's being used, it's going to get, you know, worn, maybe even damaged. And, and that is really hard on, on, on you. If you view this thing as a sentimental thing, it's, it's not really furniture. It's almost an artifact. But if you're using it as furniture and it's getting damaged or just destroyed, or it's going to be heartbreaking. So you really have to, when you're dealing with large items like furniture, you really have to be selective on what you're keeping for sentimental reasons. So I don't think square footage should ever be an issue as it relates to sentimentalness. So, I mean, to, to any of your listeners out there who maybe live in apartments or even tiny homes or just kind of a smaller space, I mean, we had uh, a couple on the podcast forever ago. Um, and they lived in an RV. So when you have that kind of uh, situation, what advice? I mean, even take you and your wife, Trevor, you guys ha- talk about downsizing to a condo. So what's kind of the game plan there for any of your listeners who maybe want to downsize, but are a little bit hesitant about kind of doing that with, with the stuff they may have? Well, I would never advise somebody to rent a storage locker for their sentimental things because the minute it goes in there, you're never going to look at it again and, and the whole purpose of keeping it is lost. So if you can't display these things or see them on a, a weekly or, or very least monthly basis, look at these things, I think they've lost their purpose of being sentimental. And so if you made lifestyle, extreme lifestyle choices like living in a tiny home or an RV, you're, you've you've also decided that you're not going to keep sentimental things. I mean, that's part of the decision. You know, there's just no room for that kind of thing in your life. You know, you've you've defined it. Now, if you're moving to a condo, I, I think you just have to make choices. I mean, whenever you're downsizing, that's a lot of the things people wrestle with is what am I going to do with this stuff, right? And some of this stuff is just stuff and it's junk and it's weighing me down. And some of this stuff is meaningful. And you never want to let sentimental things become a boat anchor in your life in that you're, it's limiting what you can do in life because you feel this obligation to hold on to this thing. And, and let's just say you had a canoe and that was, you know, it was handed down from generation to generation and it's sentimental because you canoed it with your grandfather and your grandfather canoed it with his grandfather and so on. Now you've, you've restricted yourself to living in, in a place where you can store a canoe. So that you've really restricted yourself in your options in life. So in that case, that canoe is is becoming an anchor rather than a, an asset. So you, you really have to think about what you don't want your sentimental things to own you. You know that that that's when it becomes dangerous. So I have kind of two branch off questions from that then, and one one pertains to passing sentimental items on. The other pertains to receiving sentimental items. So, um. My mother, for instance, re- um, received a, a kind of an, an antique dresser from her mother, and and because her mother it, it, her mother valued it a lot and was passed on to my mother, my mother felt um, this kind of desire to keep it just because her, her mother wanted her to have it so badly and stay within the family. So, what advice do you have for our listeners if they're in that those shoes where they're receiving things that that maybe they feel 
like they have to keep. Yeah, it's to start with. I don't think you should ever uh, push sentimental things onto people. They you they should, you know, maybe float the question out. They're saying, you know, is does this mean something to you? That's how I'd phrase the question. Does this dresser, you know, have any meaning to you? Here's the story behind it. And if the person just it just sort of goes in one ear or the other. It doesn't really, you know, tweak any memory for them or, or any significance. Don't burden them with that thing because it's it's not sentimental to them. It's just an anchor, right? They feel this obligation to hold it because it has this history in the family, yet it means nothing to that individual. So so pushing sentimental things on people is, is all wrong. And it just, it either, it creates resentment or, it ends up in a home where it's not respected or coveted, which it may end up, you know, being abused or damaged in the case of a piece of furniture. So I would say, you know, at the end of the day, hold on to it. If it's in your will that you want it to go to somebody, I guess at that point you pretty much have to accept it. But I would caution anybody for pushing sentimental things on people because chances are it's not sentimental to them if you have to actually push it on them. No, I, I agree completely with that. And I want to actually circle back to the storage locker comment you made. And um, Jace and I, he, Jace was on the podcast a few times a few weeks ago. Him and I were walking by a kind of a brand uh, diamond. Anyone who lives in Ottawa, there's a di- it's called Diamond Storage. And um, we were walking by kind of this, it's it's this monstrosity of a building. Obviously, there's it's kind of, there's storage lockers inside this massive building. And um, there's actually another diamond storage, ex- di- identical center being constructed near uh, near my work. And I'm watching it being uh, put together. And it's just, it's a beast. It's, it's, it's so tall and so large and just kind of one big concrete box with other boxes inside of it. And we, we were kind of commenting on how... I mean, the industry that how how there's an industry to store stuff. I mean, Trevor, was this a, a phenomenon that you saw when you were my age, or is this kind of a new phenomenon that people are kind of just capitalizing on because we have too much stuff? Well, it's been around for a while, but I think it is a growing industry. I I know more people that have storage lockers than don't, and y- you know if they do because you say if you're asking about a particular thing, you say, "Well, that's in the storage locker," and the storage locker is never convenient to go to. It's never convenient to access. And think about the concept of if, how you decide what goes in the storage locker. This is the stuff that's in my way. This is the stuff that's an obstruction in my life. This is the stuff you no, no longer want to look at anymore or deal with. So you put it in a storage locker and you pay $100 a month to rent it. That, that has insanity written all over it. So, I mean, if your sentimental items end up in a storage locker... In my mind, they're no longer sentimental. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've 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 put them in a concrete box, hoping to you know get them out of your way. Is there ever? I mean, storage lockers are definitely, I think, not we think not a positive thing. But is there ever kind of a time where they could be necessary? What if you are um, maybe renting an RV for a few months to live out of, and you do need a space to store some things because because you're going to come back and live in in a home eventually? Is that or is that a time to kind of purge your furniture and start again? Like where 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 do you draw the line? I think if you're in between places, just say you're you're in between houses and you're living, say, temporarily in an apartment or an RV or something like that, I, I think it makes sense. But the problem is people don't tend to put parameters around that storage locker. 
they will continue to leave stuff in there even though they get their new home and they'll just say, well, I'll come back and get this stuff when I need it. Turns out you never need it. I would try to avoid a storage locker. I mean, there's situations where you can't, but I would try to avoid storage lockers uh, whenever possible. They tend to be, you know, the things you care the least about that you put in there, which maybe there's a good chance you could do without them altogether. So I kind of want to move back to talking about this, uh, the phenomenon of getting a little bit more square footage than maybe you need to store your stuff. So um, Trent Ham in his article talks about how we we don't tend to use all the homes, all sorry, all the rooms in our home, but we tend to use kind of the extra space to store things. I mean, when you think of a basement, Trevor, what's the first kind of thing that pops into your head? Yeah, you just store your junk down there. Exactly. If you think of houses, uh, you know, they have multiple living rooms, multiple bedrooms, multiple bathrooms. Closets multiple, galore. Yeah, multiple eating spaces. Uh, and plus a basement. If you and, and then you have a garage. I mean, if you still need a storage locker on top of all of that, I, I think there's a problem. When we're kind of talking about this, I mean, Trevor, I'm, I'm assuming you and your, your wife never uh, didn't always live in a home. No, we used to live in an apartment. That's where we started. Do you, and then, so because of that, do you ever kind of, I mean, I'm about to, I'm about to get a, a new apartment soon and we're kind of just really reveling in the idea that we have all of this kind of, we got a fresh start and we get to minimize and, and, and the fact that we, we get to kind of be as light as we want in the apartment and that we don't, we don't have, we, we kind of trying to pri- like, try to eliminate things so that we kind of have less stuff. I mean, do you ever kind of reminisce on those times when you didn't have any stuff because it's easier to go from apartment to home than it probably is to go the other way. So, so when I remember when I moved to an apartment, we had this storage locker that came with the apartment. It was in the basement. And I thought, well, that's kind of neat. I, I don't really have anything to put in there, but if I ever do, uh, I'll, I'll know where it is. And I did put a, a couple things in there, like uh, seasonal things like a bicycle and Christmas, a Christmas tree and some Christmas decorations. Uh, and I, I think I had a bit of a camping equipment I kept in the storage locker. And I remember when I was moving out and we had the truck all packed and we're literally closing the door in the back of the truck. And my wife said, what about the uh, storage locker? And we completely forgot. And looking back, I think I could have just left that storage locker. I mean, that would have been the wrong thing to do. But I think I could have drove away with the stuff I left in there that, you know, although the Christmas decorations were seasonal, I mean, it wasn't a huge loss. Uh, out of sight, out of mind is the, the point I'm trying to make is uh, if you're in an apartment, it's a pretty small space. You can see everything. Chances are you need to be really efficient about what you keep in there. So uh, do I long for those days? Again, thinking of the sentimental things, it it seemed like a simpler time. So you tend to want to gravitate back to simpler times as you get older. That's a great, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the seasonal item discussion because that's a kind of another thing. I mean, it, you could have sentimental items within those seasonal things. So Christmas decorations always kind of do bring about sentimentality. Um, uh, maybe, maybe, and then everyday items too. Maybe, maybe even, I'm going to say golf clubs. Maybe there's sentimentality attra- attached to those. Maybe you used to, you play with your, your family a lot or your father, your grandfather. Maybe that's a thing. Um, so how do you kind of deal with that double-edged sword? You know, seasonal things, they, they tend to be sentimental. So just by their nature. So, and you only see them in particular seasons at like Christmas. And so, yeah, that stuff tends to be sentimental. 
Trenham goes on to kind of talk about how to recognize the sense, the sentiment in an object. He, he says that the sentiment is not inside of the item, but it's inside of us. So, and, and then he says, so he says, the truth is that the feeling of sentimentality doesn't require the item at all and that the memories inside of us. But my, my kind of argument to this statement is that, yes, you, you see the item which triggers a memory. So the, the, the item doesn't actually hold the memory because to someone else, it would look just like an item. But you don't think, and he, and he says the memories are always inside of you. But my question is just how are those memories going to be triggered if you don't have the item? Yeah, you need the trigger, right? It, 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 the trigger could be a photograph, but you still need a trigger because your your head is full with everything that's going on today, tomorrow, this week. Uh, you know, we're all living busy lives, and our minds are full of managing these busy lives. So you need a trigger to to to, to go back into that memory bank. It's just not going to happen on its own. So I believe sentimental items have a place in our lives, and, and they represent triggers to to memories. And I know for me, without certain triggers i i would for instance i talked about this this dog that passed away you know w- without certain things uh happening I, it could be you know uh you know we went for a walk in a park we used to take our dog to this park and now we're walking there without it that's a trigger so i didn't actually need a physical thing to trigger the memory of that dog we're actually walking through the park and i remember walking with my dog so there's the trigger i did i didn't actually need any physical thing to trigger it so a lot of times you don't need a physical thing. You just, the experience, just reliving the experience itself is the trigger. And can you put kind of a limit on which memory should be triggered? I mean, um, I remember going through a box of, of my sentimental items um, and I, I kind of was clearing it out and I came across old old cards, kind of very insignificant um, Valentine's Day cards and just kind of very some childhood childhood memorabilia that I thought was important at the time but is not now that and I got rid of I mean so that was kind of obvious for me but it should is there should you kind of put limits on on what you should keep like what memories you should what items you should keep to kind of trigger certain memories I guess so this will sound kind of cold but for me there's a process so if I open a box of old stuff and I look at it the the memory it has to come back to me instantly there can't be, uh, do I remember this thing? And I start looking at it and turning it over or it's a card, I open it and read it and it has to be instant. I mean, when I look at this thing, I, I, I touch it, I feel it, I smell it. If I'm not taken back 15 or 20 years to that moment in time, then it really is not that sentimental. And it sounds cold, but that is how you have to approach it. Otherwise, you will have a square footage problem on your hands. So I have two kind of branch off questions from that statement. So as a parent um, with how many kids do you have? Three. Three. So three kids. So, I mean, and they're all grown up now. Do you have a hard time? And where do you draw the limit around keeping the items that your kids have made you or have gotten you and anything kind of around that? Where, where, Where do you keep everything or where do you saw the line off? You tend to have, be more sort of, you feel more sentimental obligation to the closer members of your family than, than the more distant members. So uh, as I get cards from, say, Father's Day cards and stuff, stuff like that, I have a box. And, and it, it's not a, a huge box, but I know it's going to hold a lot of Father's Day, birthday memorabilia. And that box becomes the parameter uh, of my memorabilia or my sentimental things from my children. 
that I get for Father's Day or birthdays or Christmas. And you really, you have to set a parameter. Otherwise, it will just, you know, expand in, into the space that's available. So I, I have a box and it's marked clearly and uh, it, it's in a very safe place. And that is, that is a parameter I'm working with. So does that hold every single card that your children have, have given you? Or, or do you, do you like, what's kind of the selection process then to decide what doesn't make the cut? No, I'm keeping them all because to me, they're all important, right? They, okay. And yeah, that was my, que- that's my question then. Yeah. They're, so they all are important. And then, so maybe. The thing I get from my children is something that I'm going to covet and it will have sentimental value to me uh, now and forever. Like it always will. I, I may not have felt that way about a card I got from my great aunt, you, you know, and it didn't go into that box. So that, that box is, cl- is definitely defined for things for my children. And I'm building it up like a treasure chest. Okay, so that and that makes sense. So I think maybe to to our listeners, maybe decide decide who the who the treasured people are in your life, and 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 how much the possessions that they give to you mean, maybe. Because I mean, you've picked your kids and and your immediate family as those people, and then so that means that you're you're choosing very specifically, very carefully about what to keep. But in a way, I'm kind of connecting the dots ahead of time but in doing that, right? I, I've decided that, you know, because I got this card from this person, it, it is going to be sentimental. Whether I open it up three years from now and triggers a memory or not. I, I, so I'm kind of, you know, going against the, my, my golden rule of don't connect the dots ahead of time. You can only connect them after the fact. So it's a pretty safe bet. You know, I, I'm pretty close to my children, so I know I'm going to be looking back at those. And I do look back at them. Every time I get a card to say a Father's Day card, I will look back at all the previous Father's Day cards. So I, I do actually go back through that and it does trigger a lot of memories. I want to go back to the box you're talking about. So you have this box. What what kind of determines the size of your box and, and, and where the box goes? Is it is it kind of just space? You, you own a home, so I'm assuming you have a lot of space for maybe a big box. But, but what, what determines that size box? Is it the objects that go in it or...? You know, it was just random. It was a box that was around the house and I just grabbed it and I said, I'm going to use this. So it, it, I didn't predetermine. I, I didn't do some sort of calculation and figure out how many cards I'm going to get over a lifetime and what will fit in this box. I mean, it was just random. Because I asked this question only because I know this is a big problem for me is that I I went back to my childhood home and my brother and I were minimalizing kind of our sentimental items. And I realized I had three or four boxes of sentimental items and I was trying to get them down to, to two boxes and, and I, I didn't get it down to one, but that was the ultimate goal. So it's just, I feel like it's when it, it's, it's just, it's funny how the sentimental items are just that one kind of category that can be extra tricky to deal with. Well, one of the solutions I've heard is to, you know, take a, a, a digital photograph of it and save it somewhere on the cloud of that sentimental thing and and then it takes up no space but my my argument to that is what is going to trigger you to go look at those digital photos when are you going to look at them maybe you've got a digital picture frame and they'll just sort of rotate these things will come up on on that 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 might that works but i mean if you're just putting on your google drive are you ever going to go back and look at them you you need it you need a way to a, a tool or a mechanism to to go look at these digital photographs if you ever hope to trigger these memories. 
that goes back to the point of do we even need those memories to be triggered? Um, an example in here, this article talks about you don't need a souvenir to remember a vacation. You can choose to remember that vacation at any time, but will you actually remember that vacation? And do you need to remember that vacation? I mean, I'm it, we it, that's that kind of comes down to the the kind of the golden question. If if you're not going to ever want to go back, if you don't remember to go back to look at those photos, do you even need those photos and need to hold on to those memories? A, a long-held belief that you should never live in the past, you should never live in the future, you should live right now. There's a, there's a lot of value in, in doing that, but I think everybody wants a past and everyone wants, you know, happy memories of their past. And, and everyone wants uh, an optimistic future, you know, planning into the future. So, so I, I think it, it's also important to, I, I think, look back at, at sentimental things to help. Like I, I always enjoy connecting the dots to how I got where I am today. And a lot of times I need to trigger memories to to look at where I got. And, and maybe if you're in a place that you're not happy right now and you are trying to you know figure out how you got here, maybe uh, looking at some sentimental things and, and triggering some memories, you, they, they might be bad memories or they might be bad decisions and maybe you'll learn something from that. So uh, Trent Ham goes on to, in his article to kind of talk about items that you were kind of brought up, Trevor, about actual physical items such as a, a, a couch or a chair or a board game, he used the example of, that are actual kind of utilitarian items. Um, and he talks about a good solution to deal with these is not deal with them, but kind of move past them and, and be able to be okay getting rid of it in that you're kind of passing this object off for other people to appreciate and and maybe cherish and make their own memories with. You mean by donating it to somebody and, and they get use out of it as well? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that that's a, a, a good solution. I, I just think you got to saw it off somewhere. You can't just keep keeping stuff and, and just keep accumulating. At some point, you have to revisit this thing and just ask yourself, is this still sentimental to me? You know, uh, is it still holding good memories? And and I think that question is 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 really really important because another kind of example is is books, and then and and that leads to the question of really analyzing why you have it. Do you have that book because you think you'll read it again, or do you have that book because you have really good memories of the story and of reading it? Because I know and and that kind of that kind of idea really made me question a lot of the books I have. You know, I think everybody who's an avid reader has a book that really. You know, it was an important story at a time in their life where they really needed that that story. You know, it helped them through something. It maybe it was an inspirational story, gave them some inspiration to move on through a tough time in life. I, I think the story has to be, it, it may, may not be a book you ever read again, but if it really had an impact uh, on you in life, you know, it, it could be a fiction book, it could be a, a self-help book, it could who knows what, but if it really made a difference in your life, maybe you're you're just keeping that as a reminder that you got through a dark time. So uh, in that case, I would keep that book. But in other cases, I mean, you can't keep all, I guess you, um, you can keep whatever an individual feels like keeping, but I really like the idea of kind of passing, if something w- benefited you at a moment and and then being able to pass that object onto someone else in, in hopes of benefiting someone else with that same object that benefited you. True. And, and you know, there's a fine line between um, keeping a sentimental thing and being a collector. 
And just because you have a collection of things because you maybe they they have uh, value because of their rare the rare items like say I'm saying first edition rare books is is a collect is thing pe- things people collect if you keep those don't try to tell yourself they're sentimental because they're first edition rare books you're keeping them because you're a collector of of rare books you know don't don't fool yourself into saying this has some sort of sentimental value another kind of interesting way to track ex- experiences um and i think it'll really resonate uh with with our audience too and is is using your your smartphone or your iphone to to use apps or, or kind of a note-taking method to to kind of record things that happen kind of in a sense of, of journaling and journaling is again another kind of solution to remembering experiences that you have every day and and, and memories that you make it's the same problem with digital photos, though. You have to have a trigger to go back to that digital content to, to you know, resu- re- resurrect that memory. So it, it, you still need a, a system or mechanism. It could be just, you know, that people go in, and I know you don't, but a lot of people will scroll through social media accounts. Well, maybe you should stroll, scroll through your um, Evernote account and, and look at things you did a year ago, two years ago. You know, you, maybe that's where you, your time is better spent is, is scrolling through your own personal journals or say you have a Kindle and you read eBooks, you know, scrolling through your digital bookshelf, uh, books you read that you really enjoyed. These things take up no space at all. I know one of my uh, go-to strategies for remembering things is how I have a digital journal and I just, I, I write in it on my, on my computer. And then I actually do love going back to kind of view um, the growth that I've made and, and where I was months and years ago. And I find it really, really rewarding just to explore, explore the person I have evolved into, into the moment right now and today when I'm, I'm, I'm entering a new a journal entry. But what's your trigger to go back and look at that? Just curiosity. I, I def I go back, I want to say at least once a month just to peruse and reread and I, I'll read the same things over and over again every time I go back and I find it really valuable. But what are you doing when you decide to do that? Like what, what's the, your, your, you know, I know why people look at social media. I know why people look at their news feeds. What's making you go back and look at your journaling? Like wh- where are you when you do this? What's, what's the, the time of the day or, or the environment you're in? I, I'm usually at home and I think it's just this sense of, of nos- I'm just, I feel overcome by a sense of nostalgia. I'll be writing about something and it just makes me want to go back and, and relive the past and, and relive moments I had before. So I don't actually don't know why I'm overcome by it. Just like maybe other individuals aren't sure why they're overcome to go downstairs to their basement and open up their box of keepsakes. So maybe people should, if they want to keep their memories, their sentimental memories in a digital format, maybe you got to build a habit where you, you always go back first of every month. So that's a sort of a trigger that you're going to, that particular lunch hour, you're going to go scroll through some, some old photos. You know, you need some sort of uh, mechanism to regularly do that because the the longer you ignore those things, the less likely you're ever going to go back to them. And I, I and on your to your point there, I think the, I journal a lot, and f- usually two to three times a week. So going going back and kind of checking what I wrote before, it, it it's just something of a habit and something that I I has become I guess yeah very habitual at this point. So that's a good point. So maybe. Maybe every time you're going to add new photos to your digital sentimental library, that's when you go back and look at the old ones. And and I think if, I mean, journaling is kind of something else, but if you're, I think if you're taking photos, I think it has to be very, 
very very uh specific you have it has you have to go with kind of this laser focus of what you're adding i mean i i, I know in today's day and age where you can just click off click photos left right and center but i think you have to be very deliberate with what gets added so it doesn't become over cluttered and then you actually enjoy visiting this um digital space to view these memories and and view your writing yeah, I think you need some sort of mechanism to review it. Uh, it's going to be different for everybody, but uh, once you build the habit of always going back and looking at it, I think it becomes just part of your life. So I want to add in one of my favorite ways to track experiences. I love journaling. Do not get me wrong. I love taking photos. I find both are extremely valuable ways to capture um capture kind of sentimental moments um so yeah journaling would be one of mine taking photos but one of my top favorite ways is actually my um my expense tracker i i know i i when i i went back i think last year 2017 i went back to 2017's expenses and i was i was deleting them because i just i i was deleting a bunch because i didn't really i kind of just didn't want them there anymore i was kind of trying to get it all up to date um and i came across things that i spent money on and and it took me right back to those moments and who i was with and and where i was because i i entered the location where i bought that coffee or where i bought my lunch from and it just brought back all these memories and it's kind of funny because it, if if you bought something significant or did something significant it will bring it will bring those moments back to you you know that that's a good uh, a good tie into f- to personal finance i like that and actually now that you say that i I do look at my budget and recall when I see uh, little peaks or spikes on particular expenses. I, I remember, you know, I went somewhere that day or that month and, and I remembered enjoying it or, you know, I remember something about the event. Uh, so so I, I do uh, use personal finance as a uh, sort of a history lesson. And I, I, I don't know about our, our listeners and yourself, Trevor, but I'm a very kind of meticulous. I probably take too much time entering the actual itemized expenses into my into my uh, expense tracker. But I, I kind of appreciate that now because, I mean, every time I visit a new coffee shop or, or do something really novel and unique, I, I just can easily scroll back and, and see the location and what, I, and what I bought. So if it's two times coffee, I know that Jason and I visited a coffee shop um, and, and picked up coffee. And that's always a special moment. I think for most, uh, a lot of people, you know, using your personal finance journal, you know, your budget uh, as a trip down memory lane, uh, a lot of times it's going to be bad memories. You know, money you spent on things that you wish you hadn't. I would caution our listeners from using that as a tool unless you can just focus on the good stuff. <laughs> but I think that's also valuable too, because I know, I, I know that when I enter things into my expense tracker, I will sometimes begrudgingly enter some purchases in because I, I, I kind of just shake my head about why maybe I bought something and if it was consumable, why, why it, it, it's not like you can return it or anything, not like buyer's remorse or anything. But this episode being on sentimental things that, you know, that it tends to be your positive experiences, not True. Your negative. True. So, I mean, it, it, again, but it's like sentimental things. You maybe put things inside a box, a physical box, and, and you look back and some things, they don't really mean anything, or you may kind of begin to associate with something negative. So I think I think with positive memories, kind of negative memories can kind of lie in there as well in general. Trevor, what are your, what are your kind of go-to habitual ways 
that I mean, you mentioned your 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 box of cards. Was there anything else that you kind of rely on to bring to, for your sentimental items? I used to, so this is an, a dying art, but I used to keep newspaper clippings of like things that happen, like I'll say the 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 World Trade Center event. I I kept a a newspaper clipping of that and uh, different events. I yeah, I'd keep newspaper clippings, but as newspapers are becoming a dying thing, I, I wish I would have saved uh, you know web articles. And, and printed them off and, and stuck them in a box or, or stored them digitally. But my go-to used to be newspaper clippings. I, I had newspaper clippings that would just turn all yellow. And But but as soon as I read it, I'd say, oh, I remember that. So I, that was my go-to thing. I, I, I don't know that I have a... I, I don't want to say I've lost my sentimentalness as I've got older, but I, I don't seem to... I think my wife's kind of taken over that role. I, I don't do a lot of sentimental storage. I want to talk, when we're going to talk about sentimental, I want to talk the idea of, um, it was up above too, I meant to touch on it when we were there, but the idea of souvenirs. So it's kind of, it's it kind of goes back to your thing earlier, Trevor, where you kind of connect the dots. But when I think souvenirs, sometimes they're just not, souvenirs can sometimes be not kind of high quality items that you'll always want to hold on to. So it, it kind of, it, I feel like that has turned into an industry though of, of collecting and it kind of a societal expectation to collect souvenir items from the places you've been and the things you've seen. Well, and they're trying to create a, it's a market, it's marketed in such a way that they want you, you know, after you see a particular, like say you saw Niagara Falls on your way out, that's where all the souvenirs are. And they're trying to tell you that, you know, if you get this, you will remember what you just saw, you know, it's marketed that way. And that is literally trying to connect the dots ahead of time. And it rarely works. And they've also, one, this is one thing I've seen a lot of people, they collect spoons from, uh, you know, places they've been in their travels. And that's combining, you know, souvenirs and sentimental stuff with collecting, which I think is super dangerous. True, because the, the, usually there is no limit on collections, because that's that's their their nat- their nature collections in general are by nature large and growing. I do want to I want to kind of add in one of my favorite ways to um, c- collect souvenirs for places I've been and things I've seen, and it started when I was a child, and we actually collected. Um, we had a blan- I had a blanket, and we would collect. Uh, me and my siblings would collect kind of these, these patches. Um, just kind of sew on or iron on patches that we sew onto um, a camping blanket. And I mean, the camping blanket's not full by any means, but it was just kind of this place where we could sew on all these kind of little memories of where we've been and, and just kind of follow it up as we age. And, and it was kind of this utilitarian item, but also the memories, again, the patches easily triggered the memories. And see, I love that one because it's got two things going for it. It's inexpensive. So these patches generally, I would guess they don't cost much. And a blanket does not take up a lot of space. And it actually serves a purpose, right? You could use it as a blanket to keep you warm. So I, I love that it doesn't cost much and it doesn't take up a lot of space. You're still the, you run the risk of trying to connect the dots ahead of time. So that's that's a risk where, you know, this patch might not mean something to you 10, 10 or 20 years from now, but but you got it anyway. The, there's a very low risk to getting it. So it's, and you can always take it off the blanket if you decide, you know, you don't have any more room and that one really didn't mean much. So you can sort of correct your errors. So that, that has, that's a lot of value to it. I really like that one. I think I was going to say this in closing, but I want to say that if you feel this burning desire to be sentimental and it's say it's personality driven, 
make sure it's it's low cost things where the risk of you getting this wrong and it not being sentimental is really low because you could end up with a square footage problem where you can't you can't find a place to store all this stuff or you just you end up trying to pawn it off on people and, and make it sound important to them because you're maybe you're getting up in years and you you need to make sure this stuff doesn't end up in landfill so you want to burden all your family members with something that maybe doesn't mean anything to them and 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 kind of tie off tie onto that i mean the only reason that person is going to associate an object with um sentimentality is because of uh, maybe a story you've told so a lot of i think a lot of sentimentality is passed on through storytelling and 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 kind of reflection on the past from from family or friends and 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 Trent in his article kind of talks about how um if 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 you were to to pass on and someone had to come into your home and evaluate all the possessions they would just like i mentioned earlier see possessions and that's it so in in a way i mean that's why i think photo albums are valuable because there's kind of a there's kind of the photo albums can tell a story themselves because it's kind of a progression of time so if someone were to come in they'd see value in that and and maybe if there's a plaque on a on on um on something then you could obviously tell the story in that so i think an object needs to kind of tell a story to someone else in order for the other person to find it valuable as well not just you you know to that point so i have a rocking chair that uh my my parents gave to me and it was important to my father because his grandfather, you know, sat in this rocking chair every day. Every day he went to visit my, his grandfather, he was sitting in this chair. Well, I never knew his grandfather, and I never knew his grandfather sitting in that chair. But my dad always sat in that chair. And it, I remember my dad, every day after work, he would sit in that same chair. And now I have that same chair. And so why it was important to my father is different than why it's important to me. You know, the the person I saw sitting in it is different, but we, we both share the same memory of that chair. But when he looks at it, he pictures his grandfather in it. I look at it, I picture my father in it. So it, it, he, I remember he showed me a picture of his grandfather in the chair, and I never met his grandfather, and the, the picture really didn't tell me a story. So, And now I have this chair, and my kids never saw my father sit in that chair. And I actually don't sit in it that much, so my kids never saw me sit in that chair. So it, I think it's pretty much done as a sentimental item in my family. Which kind of speaks volumes to the progression of sentimental items by nature because we set items aside because they're sentimental in that moment to us. I know that's why we have boxes and boxes of sentimental items and that's why you can go back in and clear out sentimental items. So I think we have to accept as a kind of another maybe point for this episode that sentimental items maybe go through evolutions and if they lose their sentimentality, don't feel bad. I think that is just how items, how these, these items, these memories organically, organically go. So Trevor, I think that brings us the end of our show today on sentimentality and and kind of dealing with sentimental items and and how to really give perspective to the sentimental items we have. I know you had your final thought earlier, but is there any kind of other closing thoughts you'd like to impart on our listeners before we leave? Well, I would just say that if your sentimentalness is causing you to, you know, seek out more space to store the things that you find sentimental in your life, like a storage locker, I think you need to rethink what you think is sentimental you know what's triggering memories you need to reevaluate that and be very deliberate and specific about the memories that this thing triggers 
And on that note, that is the end of today's episode on sentimental items. Thank you so much for being here with us today. If you have a kind of a story of something that's sentimental in your life or, or even how you go about processing and minimalizing items that are sentimental that you'd like to share with us, head over to our contact submission form on our website, livelifesimple.ca. We'd love to kind of hear your stories as well with your sentimental items. And uh, we'll definitely talk about them on an upcoming episode. So until next week, keep it simple.